Happy Monday. I get such a feeling of joy every time it's like happy Monday. I feel like if you approach the week just with a sense of joy and just a sense of just, you know, this is a new opportunity. And that's exactly what we like to do here on this show is just provide you with a new opportunity and a new maybe way of thinking. And you hear from so many inspirational people on the show. We have another one today. It just gives you a new mindset and allows you to go about your week just with that new mindset and knowing that anything is possible and that if you have a dream and you have a goal, you can accomplish it. This week especially, it's Easter week. And whether you're religious or not, that's my advice for this week. I always start out with some advice for a better life. And that is just to take some time this week. Try to find some peace. Maybe just take a step back. We're over 100 days into 2019, which is mind-blowing in itself to think how far we are because if you're like me, it felt like just yesterday we were ringing in the new year, but we're 100 days in. And I know with some of our schedules that are so busy, it's hard to take some time away. But I'll just give that advice of just find five minutes, 10 minutes this week, an hour, and just take a step back. Be thankful. Be appreciative for where you are in your life. Be appreciative for the people who are around you in life, helping you achieve the things that you do every single week. Just take some time. That's your advice for a better life this week. Today's guest, I'm so excited to talk with him. He is one of the kings of Hallmark, but he does so much more. He is also coming out with his first studio album in 15 years that is coming up here in about a month. He also has a children's book. So much to talk about. I know the Hardys are definitely tuning into this because that is where he shines as Dr. Carson Shepard on When Calls the Heart. Please, welcome to studio. How you doing? Great. That was quite the intro. I like that. Well, you know, we're always just about, uh, you know, injecting some positivity. You look around the world. I'm sure you look around the world and, you know... It's just people want to be negative sometimes, and you just have to like force and be like, no, no, no. There's a lot going on that's great. Absolutely, we're in the outrage culture where people <laughs> just love to vent, and and there's so much division and divisiveness, and mm-hmm. that's why I really feel like our show, why our show, when calls a yeah. heart, is such a hit, and why the Hallmark Channel is a refuge for people to go because it's like a safe place where you know you can experience uh, really great storytelling, but without some of the divisive drama. Exactly. That's honestly, for me, I'm a huge Hallmark Christmas movie fan. Are you really? So, like, it's a huge thing. It's weird. I live in a a house with a couple other guys, and, like, we all watch around Christmas time because it's, like, it's that you're able to check out. Yeah. You're able to, like, oh, my goodness, there's so much craziness going on in the world right now. There's so much both in the world, both in our lives, that we're, you know, trying to get ahead in business or doing whatever, working too much, and it's like, all right, let me take a couple hours. Yeah. And just flip this on. That's right. And just... Yes, and decompress a little bit. Yeah. Or escape. It's like a utopian escape. Mm-hmm. I And where the news media, like you were saying, can be a bit dystopian. Yeah. For I want to congratulate you. I mean, this just came out over the weekend, season seven. <laughs> yes. Which, fant- I mean, congratulations. Thank you. I mean, in today's, you know, today's... Media, there's so many options. There's so many like Hulu, there's Netflix, there's, and our show does air on Netflix, but there's so many options for people to watch. And our show and our audience just keeps growing and mm-hmm. growing and growing. It's incredible. It's like a phenomenon. So to get another season uh, out of this incredible storytelling <laughs> is is uh, 
I feel really honored. I came out on season four. Yeah. So I've been along for mm-hmm. a few seasons here, but there's folks that have been going the whole seven years. Well, and you guys have a, a record to beat, too, because the <laughs> season premiere for six was the highest rated premiere in Hallmark's history. That's right. For a show. So, I mean, the pressure's on, I feel yeah. like, for seven. Is it? I mean, to, we're, to, we're a quarter, we had a quarter million more viewers on the premiere of, of the first episode of season six than we did of the first episode of season five. So that's just like a little bit of a gauge to see it's growing like a quarter million per episode. And wow. it's um, – and the fans, the Hardys – hello, Hardys. Mm-hmm. You guys are yep. – you, know, you know how much you're loved and you've heard about them already. Oh, absolutely. They're incredibly – Organized mm-hmm. and in, and they're not your average like they're the the age is from like you know kids all the way up to like I've sent messages and actually did FaceTimes with a couple of Hardy's grandmothers who was pushing <laughs> late nineties and sometimes when they're like will you send me a headshot or will you send me something I'm like I don't really have time to go and like sign a hundred things and go to the post office but I will FaceTime your grandmother yeah. get her on the fa- on oh, the phone oh my goodness and I've done that so many times for fans and I'll do anything for them they're like they're the reason we have a great show absolutely and yeah you you're right the heart I mean they have conventions I know uh, mm-hmm. here at AfterBuzz James Lott Jr who I know is a friend of yours and then Marissa Serafini like they've gone to Hardy's conventions up in Vancouver. Yes. And it's wild. Yes. And they cut it off at 500, but they could <laughs> easily do a several thousand. It could be like a Comic-Con for the fans of 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 uh, when calls a heart. And they're 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 beautiful people. They, you know, my mom is a huge fan of the show, a huge Hardy. And I don't know if you knew this, but the woman who wrote the books yeah. is uh, knew my grandmother and my grandfather in like 1918, 1920 when they met. And when I first met Jeanette Oaks, who wrote the books, she knew my grandmother by name. And so there was all these serendipities that caught, that has me on this show. Mm-hmm. As it's, uh, yeah, like I said, it's an honor to be on, on a show that's sending a message and making a positive difference mm-hmm. in a conversation that's like, it's a community, right? In yeah. Hope Valley. Yep. And so it reminds, almost like nostalgic of how people used to treat each other. <laughs> yeah, it's refreshing. It's refreshing, yes. <laughs> and and I, it's just a refreshing way of life, too, for people who don't know. I mean, this takes place in the early 1900s. Yeah. And so it's a whole different way of life. I mean, you're not carrying around a cell phone. You don't have a laptop. And it's just so, like, laid back. Yes. And you don't have all those modern things that can... You know, they can be distractions almost sometimes. Oh, terrible. So you look in the background of one of our shots and there's all of the – there's the uh, extras, the background mm-hmm. performers. And it's so refreshing to see them like actually standing there and talking. No one's hunched over their phone. Like no one's like <laughs> – like now in a movie, if you see background performers, there's the only realistic yes. thing would be mm-hmm. kids or yeah. adults or everybody Everybody's just doing this. Like On Instagram, this, you're on Twitter, you're – so the, the, it's just it's stunning to look at a mm-hmm. shot on a film that's a period piece from 1915, 1916, and look, and there's no one on their phones. <laughs> it's like people are talking or they're looking at the t- trees or the, the sunset or something is, or playing. It's refreshing. Is that what I was going to say? Is it refreshing, too, when you're on set? Because everyone almost is in that mindset of like you, you – you almost forget that you have a cell phone. No, sometimes? we don't forget because okay. we're doing stories. We're doing. <laughs> we're doing like lives. Yeah. We're. Mm-hmm. But I would say that does cross over. Very rarely do you see someone just like hunched. It's it's mm-hmm. a beautiful set to be on, and we're family, so we actually talk to each other. <laughs> well, and your character is about. You said you started in season four, but your character is certainly getting more. 
more role and more in terms of the plot. I mean, Carson and Faith, uh, talk about what's going on with that this season. I know it's it's more developing, and I'm sure it's going to continue as the season goes on. Yes, and we were it was just starting to heat up, and then the the show took a creative hiatus mm-hmm. while they regathering the direction, mm-hmm. and and we're coming back on on May 5th, and I believe I mean they all there's I'm not sure if it's this next episode that's coming May 5th mm-hmm. or on the sixth where there's some big movement in my uh, relationship with Faith, Carson's yeah. relationship with Faith. And the actress who plays Faith is Andrea Brooks, mm-hmm. who also is just, her character on Supergirl is really taking a, is moving up as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So it's, and we share, like, if if this is where Supergirl is, this is where Hope Valley is. So fortunately, <laughs> I mean, and Riverdale's over here, so we got to get Martin Cumming over from Riverdale <laughs> and Andrea Brooke over, Brooks over from um, Supergirl. And we have to share them because those those. Wait, is this like Vancouver? Is I'm this t- my hands right now? Your hands. Okay, I'm just making sure I'm yes, understanding the greater, for people watching here. The greater Vancouver, the greater Vancouver area. Okay, yes. <laughs> like out in the fields by like Burnaby. There's Hope Valley, and then there's Supergirls, yep. and then Riverdale, and we have to like share everybody <laughs> between them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's not easy for them to get the schedules to work. In a relationship in early 1900s is so much different. <laughs> Than a relationship today, too. How do you move forward with that on the show? Is that yeah, an interesting of like obviously, especially Hallmark. I mean, it's very family friendly, as you said. Where like you look at our, any relationship that's on TV right now, it's like okay, when are they getting into the room, in the bedroom, the, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's not the case. I know they're really careful with that. Like, there's a couple scenes that we're like where we're camping and we're like, we had to make sure that they, it's very different. And, and we're in a work relationship. She's my mm-hmm. nurse. So yeah. if it goes bad, there's not a lot of nurses like her hanging around. So the stakes <laughs> are like, it's not just that the courting phase is, would be a lot longer. And mm-hmm. it, it's also on, on home, the Hallmark channel. Mm-hmm. So there's that extra time taken in courting yep. and, that's the cool part, yeah. really, is there's there's a lot of beauty in the time it takes to, to go deep with someone mm-hmm. before you, in that day, would propose, yeah. and then wait till you're married yep. before you... Your core, you got go, a whole thing, yep, yeah. There's time. Taken. You're making sure you're talking with the parents every step of the way. You're making... Yeah. yeah. It's refreshing, though. It is. And I think that's what people love about this show, is that it, it's so much different, and it reminds you... Like we talked to the advice for a better life at the beginning of the show, to take a second, mm-hmm. to take a step back, put your phone away. Uh, one of the things I love to do here in L.A., I go camping, and I go to a place where there's no cell phone service. Mm-hmm. And it's it's great because you don't have that worry the whole time of, like, am I missing an email? I am know. I missing a text message? Is- I know. That's true. I camp a lot, too. Where do you go? Uh, so I go to a place, uh, Hot Springs, like an hour and a half or two hours outside of Los the Angeles. The Deep Creek ones? The one where you You gotta... know about yes. this. Yes, of course. Oh, it's fantastic. You hike across the ice water yeah, and then you can camp you have there to... if you... They're yeah. not... Are you allowed to? Not really. Mm-hmm. Not technically. What are you talking Who? What? Huh? Uh, what? What is this? Well, just on the other side is Lake Arrowhead where yes. we're looking at a cabin right now. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. In that area. And yep. we've spent some time there. So you can get to Deep Creek one way through yeah. Lake Arrowhead or the other way. It's right along the Pacific Crest Trail, which goes from Mexico to Canada. That people and you do meet for like people three walking on it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you're a couple miles, like two or three miles hiking down into a canyon. Like there's, And you have to drive a ways to get, like it's... It's not easy to find at I, night either. Like I tried to <laughs> hike out with my son once when he was like seven. Uh, we, were, we got there before sunset. Mm-hmm. 
we're hanging in the tubs and there's there's like naked people there. My, my son's like, Dad, what are you doing? He's like so young. Um, usually people are wearing clothes, but I think yeah. it's a clothing optional yeah. type of a place or it can be or mm-hmm. was. I don't even yep. know. But there's these natural pools that are like ice river here, like freezing yeah. river, and then a hot spring hot that's all rocked in. You can like lay here yep. and like put your hand. It's so cool. The stars. It's unbelievable. It's... But getting out of there in the middle of the night yeah. with a seven-year-old, there's like, I, if I go left, we may not be sleeping <laughs> in a bed. And I'm like, but I think I'm supposed to go right. And there was a moment where I could have gone the wrong way, but we went mm-hmm. the right way and made it back. I, I heard a would you rather the other day that was, would you rather be filthy rich in 1900 or be lower middle class today wow i'm gonna go 1900 filthy rich yeah absolutely i i really would because you could then like who knows what you could create you create railroads hospitals Mm -hmm. like you're talking filthy rich like rockefeller rich you're talking rockefeller but i'm not talking there's no Toilets, no. no running water, no internet. Rock, I mean, that's, 19, where, the, that's where it gets toilets. tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, I think. I mean, there's a lot. But like you said, lower middle class, there's a lot of options available for everybody. You know, yep. they just launched those Falcon 9 rockets so that yeah. this little village in Africa will have satellite yep. uh, internet. Yep. So, and that's like the that's third world. That's why it's like lower middle class. Like, you still... You can go out and buy modern technology. I mean, you can do a lot of you stuff. Can you, can, you can have AirPods. You can have AirPods. Oh, my goodness. Lifesaver. How many times have you lost them? <laughs> Never. Are Good. you on the AirPod train? Uh-huh. I mean, have you lost them? Nope. Oh, well, I know I've lost the magnetic. The, I've lost the little thing, oh. but I've re, but I found it in a jacket or something. I'm like, where did I put it? And I was using a, the corded one for a day or two, mm-hmm. and I was like, this oh. is the worst. <laughs> who am I? Yeah, who no. am I with these white Terrible. cords? We don't we don't look down on everyone else. I promise. We just look up on ourselves. No, they're so they're, they're so they're very convenient. We're, we're probably blasting our brains with EMFs. <laughs> I want to talk. You know, it's. Not easy, but I, you know, I want to, for fans obviously are wondering. Um, the show comes back May 5th and 6th. Had that hiatus. You've had three episodes come out. There's another six coming out uh, on the back end when it comes out May 5th and 6th. How has that been for, for people on the show with Lori? I mean, was there, did, did it have to be refilmed? Was there a refilming that had to take place? And what has been the mood on set? Well, we haven't. Been, I haven't been on set because they've they're filming. They're doing some reshoots in Canada, and I mean, everybody has really been very, very careful because it's a very sensitive time. Absolutely, and it's very sensitive on for every side of this thing. And I, I and there's been a lot of the Hardys have had to be really patient too because they were so excited for the season season mm-hmm. to start. Mm-hmm. Then there was this big upset in the media, and then it's almost like everybody's trying to collect themselves and pull it all together, make a statement that doesn't offend, but still supports that's Mm -hmm. loving, but also like we, everyone's like dotting their I's and crossing their T's on the corporate side. And it's Mm -hmm. like every angle you could look at this has had to been handled very carefully. Very carefully. And I, the mood overall is, is obviously support and family, but there's a, there's definitely a, 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 there was time when nobody really knew anything. Mm Mm-hmm. Like us as actors knew just as much as anybody else. Everything's breaking on Twitter. So yeah, and that's the really crazy thing with this outraged culture is how things break. Is you get several trolls on that are trolling and just making these insane comments, and those things go right to the top. And mm-hmm. so those opinions get a lot of attention as well. Mm-hmm. So it's 
Um, it's been a time that I really feel and and I can really trust that in the long run will really bind everybody together. Like mm-hmm. adversity brings family together. Mm-hmm. It really does. Are you talking about people on the show or the Hardy's community? I'm talking or? about the whole thing, man. Like okay. between the between the care between the characters and the actors, between like the fans and the relationship and the love they have for the show. And I, th- I really feel like everyone's really pulling together now and doing the very best that they can with what they've been given. Mm-hmm. And still, time will tell. Things are going to continue to unravel. And I think we'll look back on this as, as, a, as a moment that everybody was, was very generous and was able, especially the Hardys, they've been generous and patiently waiting, like, when is this next episode going to air? <laughs> and what are we going to do? And, like, how do we recollect as a group? And, you know, l- the end of last season with Dan Lissing's character – um, that was a big thing for the Hardys to overcome. Yeah. So it's it really does speak to the loyalty of our fans and the the how our showrunner Alfonso is 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 had to rewrite and had to create these and keep these stories like just really true to the heart of Hope Valley mm-hmm. and um, continue to that we get to continue to tell stories. You know, it was it felt like it was almost taken away in mm-hmm. a way like we're because everything was up in the air and we're like wow like it really and at the end we're looking at it with a lot of gratitude that we get a chance to continue to tell these stories did you think it there was a chance that it wouldn't come back not not deep down just when only when you read the media right Mm -hmm. like so it's like it's it's so inaccurate most (laughs) of the time like just know that whatever you're reading out there is probably 50 percent true like unless you met the person and heard them say it to your face Dig deeper or just, you mm-hmm. know, because, yeah, uh, I, I wasn't, I didn't, the, the, like I said, the growth and our Christmas movie had 4.75 million people. Huge, per, yeah, it kicked off the season. So I did, I, I'm not really doubting, there's, there's a wave of humanity that wants to hear mm-hmm. what's ha- these stories. And our writer, Alfonso, is a great, really great writer. And I think these characters have had, set, you know, six, uh, seven years to develop uh, and mm-hmm. come into the homes of our fans that um, I was never worried that it was going to end, but it was just unsure of how it was going to move forward. Mm-hmm. And I think, it, it, thankfully for the show, again, the Hardys, if anyone's going to be like patient, if this would have happened, like you're talking like Supergirl, you're talking about, or on another show where it's younger fans that are like, no, 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 outcry, everything like that, the Hardys, thankfully, are people who will be patient. That's really, really true. And take their time. Yes. And they're, they're much less of the outrage mm-hmm. culture. Like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, you're right. You're right. The the Warner or the WB, what's it called? CW. The CW fans are much younger and they're so, uh, the millennials, there's another generation. Gen, Gen X, Gen Z, Gen Y. I'm know. just adding letters. Let's just, like, the the outrage that, that and here's what's cool about them. And, like, I'm not sl- slamming them. They... They also have a such a powerful voice, and and they're they're like the spear tip of change. They're making a difference in a which, lot of areas, yeah. Which is really interesting because we have mm-hmm. this traditional side that's holding on to tradition, mm-hmm. which is really important. Yeah. And then there's always that cutting edge new spear that's like blasting away of new change, mm-hmm. which is and they're quite often in opposition to one another. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's that blending too of cultures because they everyone needs to work together because. A lot of people in the positions of power are 
baby boomers and people who are established and then they're trying to deal with this millennial spirit it's like yeah we want that change too but there's a right way to go about it sometimes and you can't just full-on charge into things you have to develop a plan and Mm -hmm. go through all that uh I mean, have has the cast reached out to Lori? I mean, have you guys talked, have been supportive of her? I mean, I know on social media you guys have said messages. Has there been any messages of support to her or any communication? I mean, for the fa- I mean, I got to ask because I know the yeah. fans are I know the fans are wondering. It's probably exactly how the fans are imagining. Like we are we're every we've all known Lori for a really long time mm-hmm. and and when someone's your friend and something happens to them, you don't stop being their friend. You support no matter what happens. So that has been there from, especially for me, I can only speak for myself of how Mm -hmm. I've reached out or how I've been, you know, but that I can't speak for anybody else Mm -hmm. around that. I, all I do know is that if you had a good friend and they were accused of something, you haven't even heard their side yet, you would be there for them no matter what. And so that's the conversation. It's like, and if I made everyone's human, if I, Paul, all of a sudden there was some weird thing and, and it came out that I was being accused of something and it, you haven't heard my side yet mm-hmm. and I wasn't supported by my friends, I'd be like, are you really my friends? So of course. Like, and I, and I, but I can only speak for myself on mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, that was another uh, piece of motivation that I actually posted on my social media this week. So if I want to tease your social media, at uh, Paul Green Media on Twitter and on Instagram, at Paul Green Official. And we talked about the show. I mean, you're more active with people there. And even the Hardys, I know they're they're on Twitter and Instagram nowadays. And then you're FaceTiming people. Uh, yeah. And you're on Facebook as well. But it's, it's find people who are not just going to stand by your side, but are going to move forward and backwards with you. Because a lot of people in this world who are like, oh, I'm going to stand by your side. But then when you get a curveball and you have to take a step back, are they in that same place or are they moving with you? That's true. I think in those moments you get to know who your real friends Mm -hmm. are, for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like how do you weather the storm of adversity with the people you love when people go through things that are brutal or really challenging? That's when you really get to know who your friends are. Yeah, and that's you know we're that that's all about what this show is too is like handling adversity. And I know we're going to talk a lot about your career. And like you, you gave me a set of six hundred and thirty auditions that you had said no that people have said no to you. And like so, life is all about handling adversity. Mm-hmm. If you think that you're going to go through life and not face adversity, I mean. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, you're dead. I mean, you're not really alive unless you're facing mm-hmm. challenges and adversity. And, and yes, yeah, 660 auditions in L.A. and 630 times they said, no. You're <laughs> not, not you. Not you. <laughs> so 30 times I've had a yes in this business. And, and, you know, one of those was a year or 60 episodes on Wicked Games with Tatum O'Neill. Like that mm-hmm. was one of my first jobs. Um, and from that came um, uh, the wedding, uh, a wedding thing I did with David E. Kelly through that. But then, then there was a year on Bitten, and now there's been four years on When Calls a Heart. And inside of all that, there's like NCISs and CSIs and like guest stars. But and they all add up, and it's like, but you really only need one. I mean, you get one, one yes, and it's Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. and you're that little character Cersei, not Cersei, but the young one with the needle. What's the? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not on the Game of Thrones train. I, I need. I should be, but I feel like at this point, I'm like too far. I, I'm gonna watch it when everything gets done, so that way it's like, oh, okay, I'm on that second wave. I feel like if I start watching now, I'm gonna be in like in season two and a half. 
when the new one comes out and everyone's gonna I'm be like, I don't know, no, 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 but don't tell me, don't tell. Like, right, right, right. So that's the train that I'm on. You're, you people, diehard fans are so jealous that you, of what you get to experience. I mean, it's insanely violent. Could yes. not be more opposite <laughs> of when calls a heart or Hallmark in any way. You don't think the fans are fans of both? I would not imagine. <laughs> I don't even know why. I, I mean, I. Almost never watch horror or violence or gore, any of that. I can't, like, actually never do. I don't like violence. Like, I I don't like watching violence be done. So when Game of Thrones, when it's done, I'm actually closing my eyes. Like, I I grew up with, like, no TV. I grew up on a farm. Yep. So when I see it, it's, like, traumatizing to me. And I, like, I'm one of those people that like to keep my brain like pure. So I'm not watching a bunch of garbage and then thinking my thoughts or my life is going to result differently. Like, I really feel like it's an intake mm-hmm. system. So I'm very careful to what I listen to, to what I watch. Yep. And there's definitely scenes when I know something's really about to go down on Game of Thrones where I'm like, uh, I'm not yep. watching that. Yep. But then I, then it's such compelling filmmaking. It's, it's like, so as a filmmaker good. myself, I'm just so inspired by yep. the acting. and the. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know. I like It's not like I'm, like, I'm shunning it. Like, I see it, and I'm like, okay, I'm just not appreciating You'll it right it. now. You'll enjoy it. I will definitely enjoy it. Uh, I mean, what was what is your mindset when you're being told no over, I mean, 630 times? I mean, you're, thankfully, you're getting the, the 30 yeses, but even if you look at that, it's like 4%. Yeah. So walking into any audition room and being like, well, there's a 4% chance I get this. I know, right? I guess you just develop a muscle of, hand, of not taking it personally. Not making it about yourself and and just keep moving forward like Walt Disney said. Like that's one of my favorite qu- quotes is just keep moving forward. And, you know, Madonna was rejected by like 70 record labels or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And she's just getting no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Eventually, someone's going to look at you and say, you're just right. Mm-hmm. And it's just do you have the resilience to weather the storm to make it to that little meadow clearing where you can get a little bit of sky and a little mm-hmm. bit of sun and go, okay, here's a moment I can be creative. I can create something and make art and someone's going to actually see the value in it. And I'm, and then you're in a different place. You're at a different part of the mountain. And then you in the woods for a while and you don't know where you're at. And there's another meadow and you get there a few years of work or months and then you're back in the trees. But in the trees, you're developing these skills and this talent and your resolve to like, you know, like to be able to Mm -hmm. take adversity. And along the way, you're developing character that allows you to actually have sympathy and compassion for the characters that you're playing because you also have gone on a journey. If it was just easy for you, you you, nobody will even want to watch you because you have no authentic depth. So the adversity that you're talking about and these no's and these you're not it along the way create characters that when you play other characters, you're able to bring that to them. Mm. I love that. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that. Like you, you, you use that adversity to better yourself in the character. That's right. I've never said that before either. That was in your listening. You that, you created that. We created that together. We created that together. I mean, that's very true because you always, again, and getting back to looking at life will always throw you adversity. If you're expecting, you know, a carefree life, then good luck because adversity will happen. And so you need to you need to grow through it because if you don't grow through it, you're going to go through it again. That's right. And so it's it's finding that growth, finding why you're going through it. And I think in your case, yeah, saying like you grow in the character. I'm yeah. a better you're you're a better actor now because you were said no to. 
Totally. A hundred percent. If it just goes easy, it's like success is sometimes a very dangerous thing because you become a little bit lazy and a little ungrateful. And, you know, and, and when you're, when you're struggling a little bit, you're developing muscle. It's just like going to the gym. Like if you stay home, it's comfortable. You ain't growing your Mm -hmm. muscles. If you go to the gym, it sucks. And sometimes it's really painful, but at least you're growing. That is one of the things too, for people. I mean, a lot of people who don't know, I mean, obviously you know this, I mean, take a look at this image. Are you kidding me? Uh, (laughs) But like how you build muscle is you're actually tearing muscle and then it rebuilds. That's right. For people who you're like, oh, you're getting that literally, if that's, if that's a metaphor of like how you grow and how you gain muscle and get bigger is you are tearing muscle. That's right. You are destroying muscle and then it grows back stronger. That's true. And I think we're in a culture where everyone just wants to be comfortable and mm-hmm. look for the easy road. And like how do I get to – it feels like cult, the culture we're in now is so like driven by comfort and ease and like how do I – that they're afraid to really be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and the only way you grow is when you're super, when you're uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and so and and it's. But I really feel like personally growing myself, I've really learned that. Like I do cold water showers and go in the ocean. Oh, you're one of those like ice bath people. Yep. yep. I brought Ooh. Wim Hof to LA to to, okay. uh, to like a group, and we got ice. I had this tub, and we filled it with ice. And this was like seven years ago, before he was like the Iceman. Yeah, my friend Rich and I brought him, and so I do the Wim Hof breathing and go in the ocean when it's freezing, like right now, or in a cold shower to purposefully do what's uncomfortable. So my nervous system mm-hmm. later in the day when I have to make hard choices is like, oh, we've done this. Let's mm-hmm. choose that. And it seems like an easy choice. Yeah. But if we're always looking to be comfortable, we never grow or do anything. or be, We're just uninteresting. Yep. Absolutely. absolutely. Lazy. Yeah, absolutely. The times that you look at it like that were really hard in your life now make every other thing easy. Totally. And think of every movie you watch. Do you want to watch your hero in the movie sit back on his couch and watch Netflix? <laughs> no, you want to watch your hero get beaten down <laughs> and then fight back like Rocky. And that's you, man. Yes. Like, that's you. Do you want yes. your life to be easy or do you want it to be Rocky Balboa? Like, or do you consider your... Are you uh, uh, an optimist, a realist, a pessimist? What... Do you ever think that? Of- I am an optimist, 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 optimist. Okay. Yes. There's n- – I barely put a foot in reality. <laughs> like I, I'm a time optimist. I'm surprised I made it here on time. I, I'm getting really – I'm starting to understand time a little better. Um, but I am a, I'm an optimist in everything. When something goes wrong or something says – I always think someone's giving me a compliment too. And I'm like, oh, you meant that is the no. bad. Like, like, uh, yeah, I grew, I, that's how I have grown up. Um, I was that way as a kid. It's like filled with happiness and sunshine and music and sports. And uh, I just, you know, I've had my share of adversity. Mm-hmm. I've lost people I love very dearly, including mm-hmm. my father. And mm-hmm. of course, my, all, all my grandparents are gone. And, my mentor passed this year, Larry Ethier. And so, and along the way have experienced my share of adversity. Mm-hmm. And, and in those moments, you definitely have a choice to focus on everything that's wrong or missing or focus on what's still yeah, beautiful and exactly. still right there. And so I am one of those people that have, I have a bit of a filter, like a rose colored filter where I, choose to look at all the things that are there, not what's missing. Mm-hmm. 
if you search for the light, you're going to find the light. If you search for the darkness, you're going to find the darkness. That's right. How did your childhood and where you grew up influence your acting and your life? Because you had a very interesting childhood. I mean, if people see you on TV now. You didn't have a TV growing up. I know. I don't even know how. So I don't know if you've heard the story, but I, when I was 13 or 14, my friend had a TV. And he showed me Bloodsport, which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme martial mm, arts movie. Great movie. And Purple Rain on the same weekend. And my parents couldn't know because I was raised so religious. I was like, they didn't, if they knew I was watching Purple Rain. Oof. So I got home and after I was so inspired by Jean-Claude Van Damme that I like was started doing like a thousand crunches at night, stopped eating sugar, put myself in martial arts. And the day I turned 16, I got this little Honda Civic and I drove up to Daryl Mork's acting studio in Edmonton, which was about 45 minutes away, because every morning I was waking up on set in my dreams. Not like I wasn't like fighting, but I was like they'd yell cut, and I'd be yeah. looking at John Claude, and I was on like the set of Bloodsport, like stretching and like okay, we're getting ready, and then I'd wake up mm-hmm. when they would yell cut. So I had this dream as a sixteen-year-old, but no acting. Like I, in school, I didn't act because the the artsy people, the the actors, the theater people were also the cigarette smokers mm-hmm. and the headbangers. And I was the athlete. So I was like, I can't, I want to go do theater, but I can't be seen with them. So I I would sneak into my theater classes. Like I wouldn't go hang. So it was, a, and then church theater and, uh, or like plays in church. But um, the beginnings was a dream, a reoccurring dream of fighting alongside Jean-Claude Van Damme in movies. I just knew I had to do it. And then what really catapulted me was in, I got a scholarship to university uh, to play volleyball. I'm a volleyball player still. I play mm-hmm. beach with my son here in tournaments. And uh, uh, Kelly Streit, a modeling agent, found me in Calgary dancing on a speaker with my shirt off <laughs> at, at 19 years old or 18, 18 years old. And he was one of the best agents in the world. Found Trisha Helfer, who was on Battlestar Galactica, and she and he really got me out of Alberta to Toronto and Paris and Milan and London and Tokyo and Athens and just lived everywhere and ended up in New York City, where I started studying acting with Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, Susan Batts, and all the biggies there. Knowing I would eventually get to L.A., but fortunately there was commercials for me to do yeah. in New York mm-hmm. and modeling, which I was doing. Mm-hmm. And then when my son was born, I, I watched 9-11 physically happen and ran from the buildings myself two years before my son was born. And there was all these signs to leave New York, like the East Coast power went down and my son was six days old and we had to walk up 37 flights to our top of our building where our apartment was or where our, co- our condo was. And then the third strike, so trade centers watching them fall was one. The power outage was two. And then I got my son, and he's like two weeks old. A big truck splashed us with water. And I was like, like mud <laughs> water. I'm holding my son. I was like, that's it. We're selling our We're place. Done. We're going to LA. And I was 30. I've been trying to come to LA for years and years and years. But pilot season was always campaign season. And I always had mm. jobs lined up. I had a very, very rarely like successful modeling mm-hmm. career. Um, and so I would always have these clients, the biggest clients in the world, having time on me so I could never go to L.A. Yeah. for pilot season. And it's big money, too. I mean, it's big money. It it's, was big it's money. It's great companies. Like, it's hard to say no. It is. So I left at the top of my career, my first career, and came to L.A. with a six-month-old 
having zero acting credits, and at 30 started a brand new career at 30. That 630 nose (laughs) started at 30 years old. That's when it started. Yeah, so it's been 14 years I've been here uh, in L.A., and it's like it's a journey, man. It's a lot of of rejection and getting beat down and wondering if you're delusional. Like if Mm -hmm. the phone doesn't ring for four months or a year, you're like, am I – crazy like Mm -hmm. am i trying to act like am i an actor then if i'm not working and those things start going through your head so well i'm sure it's especially hard too because it's not like you came from nothing to start this you came from something big took a major step down and are starting to climb and somewhere along maybe this journey if you stumble you're like can i just go back up like, was that ever a thought to go back to New York? Or how many times was that a thought? Right, right. Well, fortunately, when I came to L.A., the commercial business here was so much bigger, like 100 to 1 awesome. to, to New York. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, I joined SAG in 1994. And, and when I came here, the commercials overtook the modeling income. So I, which was amazing. I was like, I can work for one day on a commercial and keep getting paid. <laughs> Whereas modeling, you, it's, you, you get paid You're for that unless yep. it's like a campaign where they mm-hmm. renew it every year. But, uh, yeah, it was quite the thing to come out here and give that up. And, and I still dabbled in it my first couple years here, mm-hmm. but then my agent's like, are you here or are you in Germany? Like, are you here uh-huh. in LA? So I was like, I have to stop cold mm-hmm. Turkey. And I did it at 32 and just dove in threw all my chips in it was like we can do this and i knew that dream from 16 years old on a farm or 15 um and was that dream all there like in your 20s when you're doing the modeling i mean was that dream still like gnawing at at you gnawing at me it's like you're like it was like i was doing a desk job that i was even though it was fantastic Mm -hmm. great money got to travel meet cool people Learn music, learn to fly airplanes. I got my pilot's license super young. I was also like a monk. Like I was celibate monk from 19 to my wedding night at 24. As I right started modeling, I like found Jesus and had this – all I was doing was reading my Bible, playing guitar, and investing my money. Like I read The Richest Man in Babylon at 20 years old or 19. And I was like, oh, 10% of my money goes to God, which Mm -hmm. my dad had taught me anyway. And, and I had been doing since my first job. And then 10%, I was like, is mine to keep. And I can live off of 80%. Yeah. And so I had these great teachers and mentors. And I wasn't busy with drugs and sex and women and partying. I was learning guitar, learning the traditions of the mythology in the Bible, mm-hmm. buying real estate. And bought, I bought an airplane at 21 and used wow. it to fly myself to jobs along the East Coast. And I had this, like, in, but I really feel like in that way, God is played the biggest role in my life mm-hmm. was there was this moment at 19, I could have gone into sex, drugs, modeling, living in Paris and Milan and New York. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like I was so taken care of and I had all of that sexual energy got channeled into creativity Mm-hmm. and knowledge and depth. And I, my, I had like five mentors that were men in their like 50s that taught me, no, this is where you invest. And this is it. It's so cool. Yeah, and it's impact. I mean, it's la- it laid the foundation. That's the word. Yeah. Yeah. How, I mean, I'm trying to think back because you said yeah, at 13, uh, you know, is when you saw the TV at your, at your friend's house. Yeah. How much, I mean, how small of a town were you three thousand is 3, is, okay. is one that's nearer, and then ten thousand with Tasquin, 
and the guy was just out on the farm because uh, we lived. I grew up on an acreage mm-hmm. farm, yeah. so a few thousand. I grew up in a town of twelve hundred oh, in wow. Wisconsin. So okay. you got uh, me farm, beat. Farming community. So like we were on the outskirts of town. That we were on the outskirts of the city. That was twelve hundred. But yeah, we were in the country. Right. And I, I look at that as being a huge blessing. Yeah. Of you're able to go. I don't know how often you go back home, but you go and it. It shows you that there's so much more to life, and the joy is not found in the material things. That it's it's found in the relationships that you have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it, the joy is also found in the journey of those struggles. Mm-hmm. They bring a lot of joy. We would be miserable if everything worked yeah. out the way you wanted it all the time. Miserable. Yep. And the times. I mean, uh, speaking as a man of faith, it's like you are. Uh, there are times when you look at something and you're like, why is this happening? There, this is, I'm going down the wrong path. I want to go this way. And the Lord is like, no, 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 trust me. And then it like becomes apparent and you're like, well, now I know. No, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you get in uh, to, I mean, music and you, you got a children's book and I really want to talk about your music because you got first album coming out in 15 years, yeah. coming out in May. Congratulations <laughs> yeah. on that. You. How did that kind of, take a role in your life uh i met a girl named jenny coates at the time at 18 who was a model and she was super beautiful and i was not in any way living my life that i how i was how how i had grown up to be Mm -hmm. and she was this christian and she bought me a bible and she bought me a guitar and she uh she single-handedly changed that course of my life and so i Mm -hmm. i took my guitar everywhere with me and then I started just writing like crazy like I was writing machine in 18 19 20 and then then I just kind of for some reason and recording a lot too and then I got when I came to LA I wasn't writing as much or I was still playing but I was learning covers and then in Joshua Tree, at a, at a retreat we met this awesome guy Sam Babai and that my girlfriend Kate said that I would love him, and he's an incredible producer, and he's responsible for a lot of, like, pulling the band together. And then we have a show at the Hotel Cafe uh, May 8th here in L.A. Oh, fantastic. You should come if you're in town. And it's the launch day of the new album as well that I'm launching on my website, paulgreen.com. And so it's just I've always loved music, man. Like, Mm -hmm. it just it moves me. Nothing moves me like music. It moves me more than acting does. And we're here in about like three or four minutes. We're gonna have you play a song. So okay. Yeah. Stick around, or everyone who's watching. Obviously, you're gonna stick around. You're here. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of here. I, man. I don't think it's. I, I think you can have loves like that that you're not forgetting about them. But you, like when you said in your late 20s and your early 30s, you were really focused on acting. You were really focused on other things. That it's like that's not bad to put these other things because it's music. It's not going anywhere. Right. And now you're able to come back to that. Yes. And so I think that that is for people who are like, why, well, why did you give it up then? It, 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 I, it was never given up. Yeah. It was just like maybe back burner while I'm putting my full energy into this. That's true. Now I'm able to do something here. I got more to say now too. I'm in a different point of view. Yeah. I, I, the, my story allowed me to have something to share. Well, music, especially writing. I mean, yeah. you write about your experiences. That's right. How does being a father impact you professionally, whether it's music or whether it's, you know, working in Vancouver and whatever gigs mm. you take, how does that impact you? Do you have kids? I do not. Okay. No. So there's, it's, it would be easier to say, how does it not impact mm. you? Because mm. from the moment that little guy was born in New York, he's born in New York City, mm. Oliver is my son's name. He... <sighs> 
he completely just just changed, especially my relationship with God, because looking at him, all I had was love for him. And I grew up a little bit afraid of God. And I'm like, wait, why am I afraid of God? Like, if God is not even human, and God's not going to, like, destroy me if I make a little <laughs> mistake, because I'm certainly not going to destroy my son, and mm-hmm. I'm human. So it started to shift my movement from fear to love in my relationship with God directly through my son. Wow. So it really changed everything. Mm-hmm. And and I had a really amazing father, uh, my dad, who passed of ALS five years ago now, um, he was he was just incredible. So I, I my, so Oliver, my dad, and my coach who passed this last year, Larry Ethier, who was my mentor, gave me uh, and Kathy gave me these incredible nuggets of being a parent, and I've put them together in a book. That's your book, that, the Fifty Two Ways to Be a Dad That You Wish You Had. Yeah, Fifty Two Ways to Be the Dad the You dad Wish you, you Had. So it's it's very small. Simple to read for dads. Every chapter is like a page and a half. Right. And then there's like three three little questions at the end of every chapter. And it's a little Ernest Hemingway size field guide mm-hmm. for dads that it's like little if you can't if you're struggling to connect with your kids, mm-hmm. you you can turn to anywhere and there will be like one little like road <laughs> back to your child that's like, you know, getting into their world or not mm-hmm. making them wrong. Um, bringing them to nature. There's just little trip things that um, help having your kids come up with their own consequences when they make ooh, a mistake. That's ooh, it's how, the best. How did that go the first time? You're like so. Well, he was no, it was incredible. My Larry F. A., my teacher, turned an entire school in Kenya around with that one rule. He's a principal. Wow. They took him there and said, "Don't change anything." And he's like, he got there. Everyone's being expelled, suspended, and he's like. Ugh, I have to. I have to change this one rule. Every single kid in that high school, and they were expats in Kenya. They were Americans and mm-hmm. Canadians. Mm-hmm. When they made a mistake, he brought them into his office and said, you come up with the consequence and a, a, a rule, a reward for you to not do that. Because I know mm-hmm. you don't really want to be acting this way, getting expelled yeah. and suspended, yeah. and their, the grades were super low. And in five months, six months, he turned Wow. The school around. And he told me that story when my son was like bullying and having this brutal time in grade two. And I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Oliver's like pushing, pushed a girl. Yeah, what are you? Like, and he like is, because his mom and I were going through a really hard time at the time. And Larry said, just take him aside and ask him like what he thinks he should come up with so that he doesn't do that again. And it was like, just gave him so much responsibility. So that's like one of the tips of the 52. And obviously it lines up with one per week because there's mm-hmm. 52 weeks mm-hmm. in a year. And um, it's a legacy I want to live leave behind is a little handbook that keeps families connected. And I love that. Of it. You're right. It's so little because it, it, it tells parents that it's simple. It's, it doesn't need to be some grandiose thing. Yeah. You're reading a page, a page and a half. That's right. It's something simple that you can put into pr- practice, yep. and it'll just make a bat- massive change. Yeah. Um, you talked about legacy, and I, I always, I, I always want to, I always end with two questions before we uh, hear your song. A, what is success to you? Success is the. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind because Jim Rohn says it's a worthy achievement of a, of a set goal, right? So mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of 
writing goals down like in the future and unfolding them backwards. So success is like almost like an achievement of a, of an ideal, like, and doing that in a way where there's integrity involved. Mm -hmm. So there's that realm of success, right? Where, where you say, I'm going to do that. And you end up doing that and you, you feel successful because you did the, you, Mm -hmm. you achieved the mark and the goal that you set. So that's success Mm -hmm. in that realm to, for me as another side to that is waking up happy. When I wake up and there's a feeling in my body of joy, I'm, that's success to me. <laughs> and so whatever it does to take that, whether it's going to bed at this right time, and like I intermittent fast and I do all kinds of things that have me have a good sleep. Um, but waking up and looking at, my, you know, it, the, the, my home is a peaceful place. My relationships mm-hmm. um, are complete. I don't have incompletions everywhere. Like I'm not like, oh, I should really call my uncle and like mm-hmm. tell him I love him. It's like I've... That feels successful to me when all my relationships are whole and complete and I wake up feeling joyful is, yeah. is that's, that's success that like, mm-hmm. what, 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 what's more important than feeling that yeah. joy? It's a feeling. Yeah. Uh, and then the final one is in 50 years and 70 years when people look back on your life and they're watching your movies, they're watching When Calls the Heart and they say maybe to a friend, they're like, oh my goodness, yeah, that's, that's Paul Green. And they're like, oh, who is he? And the person says, he was blank. What do you want people to say about your life and your career? Hmm. He was, the first word right when you're saying it came to mind was an example of how to live your life as a contribution. (laughs) I love that. That's the first thing that, like, he was, yes, because if you just live your life for yourself, a, no one's ever going to remember you anyway in the mm-hmm. realm of legacy. Mm-hmm. But if I'm living my life as a contribution and the lessons that I'm learning and the things I'm discovering actually make a difference in other people's lives, that's something that's worth being remembered for. And if the album, any of the albums that I've recorded or will record 50 years from now, someone's listening to it and they're hearing my point of view on a certain subject, say death. Mm-hmm. And from that, it's a contribution then my brief, because we're all heading to the grave, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. So my brief time on this planet will, for generations, make some contribution to others that their life can then allow them to make a contribution to mm-hmm. others. It's, it was worth living. Absolutely. I love that. Love that attitude. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. I'm excited. I, I've been waiting for this like the whole time you to be able to play sure. a song that is coming out on your album. Yes. Tell us about what song you're going to be playing and maybe how that came to you. Well, this um, this song came a long time ago, really. I uh, three, <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> um, it's very clearly from a, a, a point in the Bible when Mary... Uh, when Jesus has died, this I wanted to sing this today because it's Easter week. It is Easter week. And it's the moment when the angel looks at Mary, when Mary comes to Jesus' grave and it's empty and she's weeping and the angel says, woman, why are you weeping? The one you're seeking is no longer here. And then there's, so it's like that moment was so cinematic to me. Um, and it's the, it's the first track on our album. And it's really transformed over the time, over the years, into uh, what it is now. Yeah. Awesome. 
while you're weeping The one you're seeking He's no longer here Tell me where have you laid him So I can take him Yet it feels so near The stone's been rolled away The stone's been rolled away Son, why do you doubt me? Open your eyes and choose to believe. Just put your hands here and look into my eyes. Just place your hands here. You realize the stone's been rolled away. The stone's been rolled away. The stone's been That was great. <laughs> wow, Thanks. that was awesome. Thanks. That man. was fantastic. And again, it's the perfect week for it. That's I right. mean, that was fantastic. That honestly, it's like it's like any Hallmark show or one calls the heart in the movies. It's something that it just it takes you back. You just sit back and you're just relaxing to listen to and to mm. just experience. Yeah, and we're releasing my buddy Laurent shot this really cool video at Four Street Studios of like it's we were using Jimi Hendrix microphone. Mm. And you need to, is that three minutes left? Are we okay? You're good, yeah. Okay. It, the video is starting on Jimi Hendrix, actual microphone that he used, and it pulls back, and, and then I did a little interview. So we're releasing that on Good Friday, so week wow. from Yeah, today. this week. This yeah. week, yeah. yeah. And, and then the actual album will be released on paulgreen.com on uh, May 8th. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so May the beginning of May is big for you. May eighth <laughs> is the is that when Calls the Heart comes back on May fifth and sixth. That's right. I mean that's a lot right. going on in early May. That's right. And the <laughs> book is moving to the final like stages and we're really trying to push for a Father's Day, but it's going to probably be Father's Day of 2020, just All because right. publishing takes a bit of time. Well, you got a lot going on. There, you know, you got a lot going on. You got a lot of gears turning, so there's no harm in doing that. And again, that's true. It just like your music, it will always be there. Mm. And so, release it when it's your time, when you're ready. Right. Uh, congrats again on season seven. 
Yeah. That is awesome. I'm so excited for that to now, you know, have another chapter in that, and especially for your character, uh, Dr. Shepard, to be able to explore that more as we're doing this season and hopefully more in the next. Yes. No, I'm excited. That is great news. And, and I just want to acknowledge you, man, because you have a way of listening that actually brings out the best in, like I've shared things that I've never shared, especially in that way that are unique to the questions mm. that you ask and you. to the way that you listen. Like you listen in a way that's very generative. Thank you very much. Yeah. I really appreciate that. That's the, This show is, I like to think, is, a, is different in that it's conversational. It allows us to share stories from yeah. people that people you see on TV, you see in the movies, you see, hear their albums or the music, and you think to yourself, "Oh man, I'd love to be that person." But as the show title is at all, that little voice says, "I could never be," and you can. Mm. And I'm sure you look at you know anyone who's coming up, and you're like, "You could be me." Mm. If you, I would, I would. Here's slight spin on that. I would just say it, they they can be them, right? Yes, yeah. In the sense that, and that person would would be someone who makes. The, there's nothing like being yourself, mm-hmm. right? You want to be an original, not a copycat. That's right. So when they when, but I understand the vision. You see someone on stage perform, you're like, oh, I could never do that. And I love that. That's the mm-hmm. premise of that. And the truth is, any it's been done so many times that what's really celebrated is, is originality. Yeah. And nobody can do what you do just mm-hmm. the way you do it. Yeah. Uh, we'll leave everyone with this. Uh, Rick Warren, pastor of Saddleback Church, where I uh, I've been go to that and volunteer church. every. Sunday oh, is, do you really? yeah, he gave the uh, message this weekend. He's like, you came into this world in original. Don't leave a copycat. Yeah. Is that his quote? That he said that this weekend. I don't know. I'm going to attribute it Why to not? Rick. I have the purpose driven life. Like there's like a little uh, handbook that, that book that I liked. I like the way that, that Rick Warren mm-hmm. shares. Yeah. Like, very I like good. he's relevant. Very relevant. Absolutely. He relates to people very well and shows love, which is great. Uh, so thank you guys. I hope we're showing love to you guys. And I appreciate if you guys would show love back. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend. We're here live every Monday on YouTube, but also available on Apple Podcasts if you want to be able to listen just on your drive. And again, just tell a friend. We give this content for you guys for free. We're here to just bless your lives. Bless someone else's life by going out and sharing that positive message. I hope you guys learned something today. I know I certainly did. Just a wonderful encouragement, especially in this Easter week. Again, take some time. whether it's meditate whether it's just go out in nature and just have some time to reflect on the blessings that you have in your life they're there I promise we'll see you next week Producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network. We would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. 